Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Welcome to episode 53 of Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I just want to share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders, and my only goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to this idea of serving other people and honoring God. Because what I've known to be true and we've seen through example week after week is that when you do that, blessings will just naturally follow as a byproduct of that life of service. Because at the end of the day, all of us are ministers of one kind or another because we are all given very special, unique gifts by God. And because of that, it is our responsibility, our obligation, that when we see a need in the world around us, it is incumbent on us to go and fill that need to the very best of our ability. And that is regardless of what walk of life you find yourself in. Because you can be a servant leader in the military, in business, in the faith, in community, or even something as simple as serving your family. And last week in episode 52, if you missed it, we had a leader of faith on the show, Miss T.N. Brown. And she talked about how she is not only able to serve as a vice president for Guidepost, but she's also an ordained elder in her church. And she really shared with us how both of those roles are intertwined. And she is able to pour into other people. It is not about her. It is about glorifying the kingdom of God and building up other people to come after her. And so she has a genuine heart of servant leadership. I love talking with her last week. And if you missed it, I'd highly encourage you to go back and listen to her episode. But for today, I want to share with you just a little bit about me that is relevant to today's show. A number of months ago, probably at this point a couple of years ago, I was very fortunate to be invited on to the Welcome Home Show, hosted by Mr. Joe Griffiths, a very good friend of mine. And Joe has a show that he does each week. And because of Joe and he inviting me onto his show, out of that was born Serving Our Nation. Joe was good enough to have me on a couple of times. And during that, he said to me, hey, uh, you really seem to enjoy radio and seem to have a knack for radio. And so you should consider doing that on your own. And so he introduced me to some people that helped to make that happen. And I've stayed in good communication with Joe. And we have a longstanding relationship. And he often points me in the direction of guests that he's had on his show and people that uh, listeners of this show would benefit from as well. So for today, I am very fortunate to have a special guest that's a friend of both Joe Griffey's as well as another friend of mine, the Honorable Patrick Murphy. And that gentleman is Judge Patrick Dugan. Honorable Judge Patrick Dugan is a 23-year Army veteran He's the president judge of the Philadelphia Municipal Court, and he's also the chief judge of the Philadelphia Veterans Court. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Honorable Judge Patrick Dugan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined today by the Honorable Judge Patrick Dugan. Sir, first of all, thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on the program here today. Well, thanks for having me. It's my uh, honor and pleasure to you know, be able to talk to fellow veterans. Well, sir, you have so much in your background and just so many accomplishments that you can be proud of. But if it's okay, I would like to start by discussing your time in the military. I understand that you've got about 23 years of service, but I'm curious, why is it that you decided to join and what's your story like with the military? You know, some of your experiences there. Yeah, so I did wind up serving a total of 23 years. Uh, It's kind of a crazy path that I took. I went in the Army Reserves at 21 years old. Um, basically, I have a family history of military service. My father was a Marine. My grandfather served in World War One. My uncles were in World War II. Uh, I had another uncle who was in Vietnam. So it just seemed like that's what we do. I was always interested in joining the military. So at 21, I joined the Reserves. And my time in the reserves on active duty, I loved it so much that I immediately requested to go active duty. Okay. So I went from being a, uh, I was a nuclear biological chemical warfare specialist in the reserves to being an infantry paratrooper. Wow. Active duty for six years, served with the 82nd Airborne Division, served on a DMZ in South Korea, and I served in an airborne infantry in Panama. I got out of the army active duty and I went back to college, got my law degree and went on with life practicing law, was out of the army for nearly 15 years. 9-11 broke out. By 2003, I was back in the reserves as a civil affairs soldier and I went to Iraq. Um, When I came back from Iraq, I put in for a direct commission. I had been enlisted all that time. And I received a direct commission, JAG officer. I went to Afghanistan and then I finished my time in the reserves uh, in 2016, where I retired. I retired as a captain. Wow. That is a very extensive service. So, uh, yeah. And, and I, to be honest with you, I would still be serving if they allowed me. So was it a matter of time and grade where they said, okay, thanks for playing, but uh, your time is done? Yes. And, you know, by then I was 56 years old, uh, physically fairly broke. You know, I have nose injuries, knee injuries, back injuries. Uh, So it was was time. It is a young man's uh, calling. even though at 43 I was able to get back in and go to uh, Iraq, I realized at 56 it was time for me to step aside. That is still a very impressive length of service. So thank you so very much for your service, sir. Well, I appreciate it. And, and in all honesty, it, it was an honor to be able to serve in uniform with so many bright uh, and brave young men and women. Well, I find it really interesting. I mean, so many things that you have done in your career and then to go from being a civil affairs soldier and getting a direct commission as a JAG, I mean, that's not a transition that you hear about very often. 
Yeah, I, you know, again, so I'm civil affairs as enlisted. I'm in Iraq and we're in the middle of a lot of stuff going on in Mosul. Mosul in 2004 was a pretty hot area. And I was a civil affairs soldier who at times I was a machine gunner. I had, I did have a law degree at the time. So my civil affairs unit used me in another, they moved me to another slot where I wound up being the uh, political officer for CPA, the coalition provisional authority with the, you know, Paul Bremer's organization. Mm -hmm. So I worked directly with the city council of Mosul, which is a city of almost 2 million people, the mayor of Mosul, the governor of Nineveh. I worked directly with uh, general Carter ham. So I was doing all that in civilian clothes as a buck sergeant. So, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, but I realized (laughs) I'm a buck sergeant uh, doing an 05, 06 job. Yeah. So, you know, I I finally put the paperwork in for a direct commission. And uh, the JAG obviously was the best fit with the intent that I would stay in civil affairs and be involved with the international law program, which I was able to do for a short period of time. So with all that time in service and all the different positions that you've held, what would you say is the single greatest thing that the Army taught you about serving others? For me, it is that we rely on each other. So in in the military, as I know you understand, Mm Uh, we have battle buddies yeah and we have the person on your left and your right and whatever the cause is when when we find ourselves in situations it's about making sure my left my right my front my rear are are good to go so our my, our teams the people that we work together with we wanted to make sure that we all came home yes and that was our we had a mission, but parallel in that mission was making sure we all came home together. And the Army taught me that no matter what the task is, with a few battle buddies, you can overcome all kinds of issues and make that mission a success. So it taught me never to quit, rely on your battle buddies, and also when your battle buddies need it, you're propping them up too. You're helping them. So teamwork and never quit was uh, pretty much what the Army taught me. Would you say that there is any particular situation in your career, maybe during one of the deployments, that that really came to bear where you were able to really live that out and be able to cover down on your battle buddy or one of them for you? I got to tell you, it was pretty much every day that I was in Iraq um, with the the teams that we had, the civil affairs unit that I went with, we had 137. Uh, 136 of us came home. We lost one uh, a buddy of ours, Mark Phelan. But I, I think every day we were put in situations where our left and our right and our front and our rear had to step up for everybody else. And it was on a constant basis, yeah. whether we were uh, going down the road to a hospital or taking some of our civil affairs people to help drill a well, to have uh, folks pull in security uh, while the engineers would dig the well or while we went in to assess the hospital to see if we get the more medical um, uh, 
medical gear. Mm -hmm. It was a constant, you know, you're in that hyper vigilant, you know, stay alive, get the mission done 24 seven. So I can tell you, I felt like it was the entire time that I was in Iraq that we were doing that. Well, I'll tell you, so that really resonates with me because I did six months in Iraq and I was stationed on Fab Rastamaya and that was about 30 minutes away from Baghdad. And much like you, we were outside the wire, I would say about six out of the seven days of the week. And there were so many different convoys and missions and things of that nature. And most often I was the driver for our convoy. And so I was extraordinarily reliant both on my TC, the person that was helping me to navigate, as well as the gunner that was literally watching behind me to make sure that we weren't getting blown up. So the idea of putting your life in somebody else's hands and trusting them to defend you and have your back, quite literally, absolutely, I understand what you're saying there. It was very, very important. And still to this day, it's now 15 years later since I came home from Iraq, and that person is still one of my best friends in the whole world. And again, you said it very well, too, because you're right. You couldn't step outside the wire if you didn't have confidence yep. in the people that you were going with because you had to go out as that unit in order to come back. And, sir, if I might ask him, what role, if any, did faith play for you? I, I know that before we left on any convoy, myself and my battle buddy, his name is Frank, and he's now a sergeant major for our beloved army but we would lay hands on our vehicle and pray over the vehicle that hey god just let us come back today don't let us get blown up and then at the end of the day when we did come back we'd go up to the roof of the building we were at and we had a cigar we called it our little victory dance and we were literally just giving thanks to god for all right we made it back today we didn't get blown up well as somebody who grew up in the uh in the catholic faith uh god was always present mm -hmm. in your heart and you know the, the expression about there's no atheist in a foxhole <laughs> that's right I, I i truly believe that because you really are aware of the frailty of life uh particularly when you're in a combat zone so you know your thoughts and prayers uh, you know to the lord about you know I want to be able to get home to my family. Mm -hmm. I want our brothers and sisters to come home on this mission. It, it was a constant. Um, I did have one of those uh, uh, Bibles with me, the uh, camouflage Bibles that were handed out. I still have that in my office, which I sometimes use to swear in new judges. No kidding. So, yes. So ironically i don't know if you're aware of this but i work uh full-time for the american bible society and that bible that you're talking about with the camouflage comes from the very organization where i work now and i actually had one of those myself that was one of the first bibles that i got when i was in the army and i still have mine as well yes and i can tell you i did not have a bible going into iraq but when they were handing them out those bibles and i didn't realize it was this i did not realize it was the same organization that you're involved with but i can tell you uh when they were handed out they disappeared pretty quickly so yeah. it wasn't as if there was a pile of bibles still sitting there everyone was taking a bible with them so uh it's it certainly in particular when you're in those situations you really do start to face you know what what's the reason for our existence absolutely well sir I, i'm very curious i mean you're a very accomplished man 
and you said that you served 23 years in uniform, but you also said that you started when you were 21. And I remember when I was 21, I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't really know a whole lot. And there have been a lot of people that have poured into me over the years. Is there somebody that you can look back on over your career and really just say that, you know, this was a mentor that was really instrumental in helping to grow you and mature you as a leader, as a man? You know, I was thinking about that and, you know, there are so many people that, um, I should say touched me from, uh, you know, coaches and playing sports in high school and little league, and, um, you know, some of the leaders in the military, some of my drill sergeants, I think of a couple NCOs, a guy by the name of Sergeant Dan McCarthy, God rest his soul, uh, Sergeant Mike Meadows. Uh, these were mentors, role models for me. They were just fantastic leaders. Uh, a fellow by the name of Major Brian Lentz, who I've become very good friends. He was actually my company commander uh, in Iraq. Uh, but when I think about who uh, the mentor in my life is, besides teachers and coaches and mm -hmm. stuff like that, I have to go to my mother. Wow. My mother was my rock growing up. Um, single mother, five children, and the struggles that she had to go through and tried not to let those struggles affect us. Um, I look back and I'm just amazed what my mother was able to do to overcome. So if I had to say who's my best role model, it would be my mother, uh, Jackie Kane. Wow. So I, I wonder, given what you have learned from your mom and the other teachers and coaches, as you progressed through the ranks and eventually went on to become an officer and a JAG, were you able to pay it forward, so to speak, and pass on some additional nuggets to other people that were under your leadership at that point? Well, I, I hope I have. I, I try to be, um, you know, a, a leader who listens to people, who has empathy um, whether, you know, it was in the military or in some other aspect in, in my job that I do now as a judge. Mm -hmm. But I, I do try to uh, help coach and mentor people that come in to work with me or around me or defendants who are in front of me that I am now, you know, going to monitor them for a couple of years. I do try to empower them to help themselves, but also rely on other team members. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do try to do that. That is awesome. But, but go ahead, sir. You know, you, I, you know, when you say things like nuggets, uh, in the military, my big thing was dry socks. Yes. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> when I, when I wound up showing up in the civil affairs unit, you know, they were all trying to size me up. You know, who's this 43 year old guy coming in, hasn't yeah. been in 15 years. He's got jump wings on his chest. He had an EIB. And, you know, I, when they saw how I would put an extra pair of socks in a in one of those uh, uh, sandwich bags to keep them dry, yeah. they were like, oh, we knew. And they told me, they said, that's when we knew you were really a grunt. I already was dry socks. And, you know, little tidbits like that, that you just learned you know, you just passed on to each other. And I can tell you, my big thing is I never want to leave a veteran behind. 
So that's my big mantra is to try not to leave anybody behind. And those two staples in the army was mission first and welfare of your men and women. And I never thought that they should be, there's any difference in them. They both have the utmost importance, the mission accomplishment and welfare of your men and women. And they had to go parallel for me. Yes. And that's what I've tried to do, whether it was in the military or out of the military. Well, sir, I'm loving this conversation. We're going to take just a quick break for a commercial. But when we come back, I'll continue the conversation with the Honorable Judge Patrick Dugan. So stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by the Honorable Judge Patrick Dugan. Well, sir, again, thank you for being on the program. And in the last portion of the show, we were talking about your time in the military, but you've also done quite a bit as a judge. So would you tell us a little bit about the roles you have now and just a brief explanation of what those titles mean? Sure. Um, so in terms of titles, the titles that I'm most proud of are pop and sergeant. <laughs> now the titles that I carry today yeah. obviously are pop, but I am the president judge of Philadelphia Municipal Court in, in so I'm in charge of 27 judges and basically 25 courtrooms. We handle, you know, frankly, over 100,000 cases with all the stuff that we do in our court. Um, and I also run Philadelphia Veterans Court. I've been the primary judge since 2010 handling Veterans Court. So in Veterans Court, it's a holistic type of approach to uh folks who are brought into the justice system, mm -hmm. men and women who are charged with crimes who happen to be veterans. And they come into my courtroom and we handle the criminal allegations, but we also handle any issues that they brought with them. Okay. We also try to give, help them get all their rights and benefits that they've earned. We want to make them that proud soldier or Marine or airman or sailor coast guard. We want to bring that pride back into them. And that's pretty much what we do in veterans court. So what made you want to transition from the life that you had previously 
into going into law school and becoming a judge? I mean, what was the precipice for that? You said your mom was a big influence on you. Did she have anything to do with your desire to go into law school and then become a judge? You know, when I was a kid, she would, say, she would tell me you should be a lawyer. Okay. And frankly, I think I kind of lost my path when I got out of high school and was, you know, going from, yeah, I went from St. Joe's University to Westchester. It was St. Joe's College at the time to Westchester, uh, you know, odd jobs. And then I went into the Army Reserve. So I, I, I really wasn't set. I wasn't on that right path at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really consider law school as uh, a viable option until I was, you know, out of the army and going to college and talking to people who go to law school and realize, you know what, this is something that I could accomplish. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad I went the route that I did because now as I became a lawyer and then a judge, too many lawyers and judges, frankly, I like to say never worked for a living. I had a real job, right? You know, if you're able to just go to college and you know, what jobs did you have to get through it? Well, I, you know, I dug ditches, I cleaned latrines, you know, I, I was a lower enlisted, I bartended mm-hmm. it, those things being a, a regular human being just help helps me so much to understand, empathize, to listen to those people who frankly having the worst day of their life when they're in front of me yeah whether they're a victim a defendant a litigant nobody really wants to be there yeah so it it helps me you know understand where they're coming from because i understand what it means to have to work hard physically work hard in order to pay your bills that week to take care of your children etc so um I, i think the path that i took set me up for the type of judge that I am, uh, that I am. I mean, I get people mad on all sides. Yeah. Uh, the defense side, the prosecution side, defendants, victims. I try to empathize and be fair, common sense. Mm-hmm. But I think my ability to relate helps me tremendously in the job that I'm in my profession now as a judge. Well, sir, luckily I've never been in your courtroom, but I have heard very positive things about exactly what you just said. And um, when I was talking to Joe Griffey's a mutual friend of ours, he was commenting on the very fact about you, that you're one of the most compassionate and understanding judges that he knows on the bench. Well, I appreciate that coming from a, a veteran and an advocate like Joe Griffey's, uh, you know, with his his radio show, his advocacy. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a dog he's like the dog who will not let go of the bone. Yeah. So when he speak high when he speaks highly of me, I really appreciate that because, you know, my Vietnam veteran friend Joe Griffey's um is a true advocate uh for veterans. And he has been in my courtroom quite often and I appreciate his kind words. Um all I'm trying to do, I'm I'm up there, I'm I'm the leader. We bring in teams of people who are there to help our veterans, right? So that they're not—they don't get ground up in the criminal justice system, and it, it it really does work. And I think it should be a model for many courtrooms around the country. Well, sir, would you say that your time in the army influenced your perception as a judge? I mean, you talked about that perspective being, you know, down in the dirt, understanding. Uh, 
what it means to work hard. Would, would that be the influence of the army or is that from something else? Uh, it's a combination. It's it's from, you know, where I grew up. I grew up in the a uh, uh, couple hard scrabble neighborhoods in Philadelphia, a place called Fairmount. Mm-hmm. It's called the Art Museum area now, but it was yep. Fairmount when I grew up. And then we moved up to uh, beautiful downtown Frankfurt, right off the uh, the the L the elevated train, otherwise known as the L mm-hmm. at Margaret Orthodox. So, you know, growing up, you know, in the uh, regular household, you know, uh, I guess lower middle class, and then my time in the in the army, being an infantry paratrooper and things like that. Uh, did prepare me for my time on a bench again because of the perspectives that I believe I can bring um, into sitting up in the courtroom as opposed to and I'm not knocking anybody who just went who went to law school and then became a judge down the road that that's fine and there's some so many good judges out there but I just think those of us who had that hard scrabble type of life to get there right can can relate a lot better to some of the folks that come in front of us. Well, sir, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while and you are in charge of quite a number of courts and people's lives. What would you say is the hardest thing that you've had to do in your position as a judge, either in the municipal court or in the veterans court? So being a judge, it's a heck of a lot of responsibility. We pretty much have people's lives in our hands. Yeah. And for me, uh, one of the hardest things that is to put a veteran in jail and the way our program is run um you know you'll be in our you'll be under my supervision say for two years mm-hmm. and if you're screwing up and not keeping with the program sometimes i have to put you in jail wow. uh, to get you to try to save your life to be honest with you yeah so i would say when i have to sanction or sentence somebody to jail, particularly a veteran, is very difficult because I understand where where they are coming from. Right. But I can tell you what's harder than putting a veteran in jail is doing an abatement. When the, in the law field, what that means is I have a death certificate and now I'm going to close your case out. Wow. Because the cases that I deal with in veterans court particularly when a veteran has uh, serious drug issues, uh, suicide, suicidal adulations, uh, thoughts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, sometimes I have to put somebody in jail to keep them alive. Um, and so it is hard to put them in jail, but it's harder to announce that they've died. Right. So it's a very serious, um, serious situations that I find myself in with our fellow veterans. But, um, all I can do is continue to work with the team and try to get that veteran to accept the help team at the help of the team and move forward and hopefully keep them alive. Yeah. Well, sir, I'm curious. Um, first part of the program, we were talking about this idea of servant leadership and how you applied that in the army. How are you able to apply the same ideals in your courtroom? So I'm lucky that I have a fantastic team. You know, I have the some folks from the VA come in and work. I have a coordinator. I have a group of mentors who are veterans. Some of them who've graduated from our program. The district attorney for the last few cycles have been 
the actual district attorney works in our courtroom as they've been veterans, uh, the public defender. So it's a team concept Mm -hmm. and the team's mission is to help that veteran and that veteran's family. So using those same type of uh, strategies with listening, uh, building somebody up, mentoring them, listen, listening to them with an em- em- empathetic ear, getting them ready for success, trying to train leaders. That's what I've been trying to do in the court. Uh, and it's it works for the most part. Mm-hmm. We have struggles here and there, but um, I believe that we are creating leaders. We're branching out people that have come to our program. Uh, I think a mutual friend of ours, Mike Brown, was one of our original staff members in Veterans Court. He's now leading the way out at Villanova, yeah. uh, leading the veterans out there. Timmy Wynn was my mentor coordinator. He's now the veterans uh, liaison for the uh, Bucks County, the entire county. So, you know, much like these coaches out there with all these uh, coaches who go to other programs, mm-hmm. how you have that family tree. Yeah, I think Veterans Court, uh, we're in the process of doing pretty good with that as well. And sir, with all the things that you've done, and especially being a judge with such great responsibility, what would you say is the greatest blessing that God has put into your life with the opportunities that you've had? Well, first, I'd have to say that it's my uh, my children and my grandchildren, for sure. Amen. But when I bump into a person and they tell me, thank you. And, you know, I mean, we get it for military service and all. Yeah. But when I get it for being a judge, generally speaking, it's somebody who uh, we literally reached down to and pulled them up. And now their life has been turned around. And I am blessed that because I still get out there socially, a lot of events. Yeah. And I have many people stop me and say, thank you for what you did with my son or thank you for what you did with me. So uh, a lot of us don't get those opportunities to hear that. And I am blessed that I can get feedback from folks. And generally speaking, it's pretty positive. So uh, to hear people say that, and it's not why I do it. It just reinforces that we're, we're on the right path. Yeah, that's really special. Well, sir, we got about a minute left. So the last thing I'd like to ask you, you know, if there is somebody listening today and maybe they're a young person, you know, they're maybe 18 to 21 years old, like my uh, own young son, and he's getting ready to go to college and he's thinking about a career in law. What advice would you give to them as they're just starting out, you know, maybe to not repeat some of the same mistakes you did or maybe to walk down some of the things that you did right? What advice would you give to a young person considering a career in law? Well, what I like to tell people is don't. (laughs) Don't go to law school. Uh, But or I should say don't be a lawyer. But I I say that in jest. Uh, Going to law school is a fantastic, you get a fantastic education. And whether you wind up being a lawyer or not, you can you can pretty much do anything with a law degree. If you're blessed enough to be able to get into law school and complete it, then use it for good. Yes. It's not about chasing money. Yeah. It's about using your law degree because there's enough people out there that could use your help in a good way and you can still pay your bills pretty well. I would just say, you know, do good with it. Um, and right now, while you can expose yourself to areas of the law, 
so that you can really determine whether or not you want to be a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, go into bankruptcy court, go into criminal court, go see what's going on uh, before you make that leap into it. Know what it is you're getting into. But if you get into it, again, with a law degree, you could pretty much go anywhere. You could teach, you go into corporations, uh, you could be a trial lawyer, etc. Well, sir, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to speak with you, to hear your story. And I personally want to say thank you for your service, not just being in the military, but what you do for the veterans in our city and for the people that you literally are saving their lives and pulling them up, as you said, and giving them another shot at life. I want to thank you for your service and what you do, sir. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate those kind words. And one final word, I couldn't do any of this without the love uh, of my beautiful wife, Nancy Dugan. Amen. All right. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we'd heard from today's guest. So stay with us. We'll be right back. listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, let's just think about all that we've heard from today's guest, the Honorable Judge Patrick Dugan. This man was such an incredible guest. So many nuggets, but I just want to unpack a few of them in the limited time that we have in the rest of the program here today. One of the things I thought he said was so compelling was that even though he served 23 years in uniform, he would still serve if he could today. And the army told him, hey, that's enough. Thanks for playing. Thank you for your service, but um, your time has come to an end. But the idea of wanting to continue to serve, I think all of us can do that in whatever walk of life we happen to be in. What else can we do? What more can we do? 
the man served for quite a bit of time and then went back into the army at 43 years of age. So what that says to me is you're never too old. You can always do more. You can go back and contribute more. So I would say to you, what else can you do to make a contribution to the fight? How can you use your gifts to help other people? And something else I thought he said was really powerful when he was talking about relying on each other and your battle buddies. Listen, battle buddies is a common term in the military, but it doesn't only apply to the military. In every walk of life, we all have battle buddies, people that are counting on us, people that we're doing life with, walking side by side with. And so when you go into work today, tomorrow, think about what you can do to help that person to your left or your right. What more can you do to make sure that person knows that you have their back and that they can depend on you? I also thought it was really telling when he talked about his mother and he said that his mother was his rock and she was a single mom with five children. So we talk a lot about being able to serve people in any walk of life, especially within just your family. And so I wonder if you're a mother or a father listening today, what kind of impact are you having on your children? Clearly, parents have a lot of ability to impact and influence their kids as Judge Dugan's mom did on him. And so what more can we do as parents to pour into our kids, to influence them, to help them grow, to encourage them, to motivate them, to help them grow in positive ways? And then another comment that Judge Dugan made over and over again was this idea of listening to people and being empathetic. And he talked about how he does that, not just in his courtroom, but he did that in the military as well. And it has made him such an effective leader. And what that led to, and I thought this was so incredibly powerful, when I asked him what his greatest blessing was, he said, being able to hear, thank you. Now, as a veteran, I love hearing the words, thank you for your service. But being able to hear that as a judge, when somebody goes up to him and says, thank you for what you did for my son, my daughter, or me, that you pulled me out of the darkness, that is extraordinarily powerful. And I wonder, what can each one of us do as a mentor, as a teacher, as a friend, as a parent? What can we do to pull somebody out of the darkness that they're in? Listen, everybody has a bad day, sometimes even a bad week, month, or really just in a state of depression. But what can we do as individuals to pull people out of that darkness? The whole point of this show is to get people out of the darkness, to break through the darkness by being that light in the darkness by being that servant leader that's going to pour into somebody's life so i say to you today who can you pull up out of the darkness and be that light to them just something for you to think about but so very thankful for the honorable judge dugan being on the show today but i want to just briefly talk to you about this idea that i mention each week when you put good into the universe good comes back to you and I feel so fortunate because this past weekend, I was able to celebrate 27 years of being together with my wife. Now, not 27 years of marriage. We're coming up on 24 years of marriage, but uh, we're celebrating 27 years of being together. So April 1st was the day that I met my wife. And two years later, it's the day that I proposed to my wife. 
And so because my daughter was born on our actual anniversary, we often celebrate on the day that we met and got engaged. But I feel so blessed to have been with my wife for 27 years. And I really feel like the only reason that we have lasted so long is because marriage takes work. And the idea of you have to put good into the universe in order for good to come back to you in marriage, that is so incredibly true because you have to pour into your spouse. You have to study your spouse. You have to love your spouse. Date your spouse. You have to treat your spouse and be so in love with your spouse as if it was day one. Because if not, the marriage will fade away. The love will fade away. Love is an intentional decision every single day. You choose to love your spouse. You don't fall in and fall out of love. You choose to love. And so I have chosen to love my spouse for the last 27 years. And so thankful that still with her, still going strong because, you know, a, a lot of people, when they join the military, they put their careers first. And the army has a saying of the army goes rolling along and the army doesn't really care if you lose your spouse. But at the end of the day, when the army's all done and whatever rank you retire at, if you don't have your spouse there along with you, what good was it? So I am especially thankful for the ride, the journey of being with my spouse and all the days that we have to look forward to. Well, listen, for next week, really excited about who's going to be joining us. His name is Officer Tim Brooks. And he is an officer in the Philadelphia Police Department. He's also a bomb disposal expert. And he is the recipient of the Service Before Self Medal of Honor. So very excited to hear his story. But for now, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week. Walking around these walls. I thought by now they fall But you have never felt me yet Ooh. Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never felt me yeah. Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You never failed me I woke
never fail. 